Ooh, back on the podcast. It's your boy Joe. It's Joe Navarro now, not Joe Escobar anymore. I had to change it for uh, legal purposes. <laughs> nah, I just got a new job, and uh, I don't know if I, if I want or if if I go through comedy and then I start talking about the things that I talk about, and then they'll say something, and then they're like, "Well, you can't have a job if you're gonna be talking about this." So I just like, you know what? Screw it. I just change my name. But today. I got a special guest. Like I said before, all my guests are great. This guy, nonetheless, amazing. I'm going to introduce him right now. You know him as Pancho Claus. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, I don't mean that directly at you, Joe. That's just a Christmas <laughs> greeting. Oh, man. How you doing today, Pancho? I'm doing fantastic, considering Good the city. chaos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you, the city of Houston gave you a check today, huh? Yeah, they did, actually. DRC Industries gave us a check through the city of Houston for $10,000. That's the biggest amount we've gotten in a couple of years. That's so, awesome, dude. Yeah, so, you know, we raised about $20,000 last year in just 5 and $10 donations. So people don't, I guess they don't think I'm serious when I write, hey, just send us 5 or $10. You don't know how much that will help. We raised $20,000. I mean, I know I sound like Bernie Sanders, but we did, and, and those little donations help a lot. I mean, they doubled what this is, no. so so everything counts. Every every dollar counts. I mean, that's amazing that mm-hmm. a company sees you and is like, you know what? We're going to give Pancho Claus the money. It is. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a blessing. So uh, I know your real name is Richard Reyes. <laughs> I know that for sure, and you're an actual person. Cause right. I, <laughs> I know you're in a bunch of classes. Stop like. touching me, Joe! <laughs> Stop pulling on my beard. <laughs> I, I just want to know more about you. Like, where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Olton, Texas, the birthplace of Jimmy Dean from Jimmy Dean Sausage. <laughs> really? So, him and I were born in Olton, Texas. My mother was a poor migrant farm worker, and um, uh, I was. She was there when I was born, and then um, immediately she moved down here. Where's your mother from? My mother is from the Valley, Mercedes, Texas, specifically, uh, and I'm hoping to take Pancho Claus uh, to the Valley this season for a little bit because, you know, the Valley, the RGV, has uh, the highest poverty rate. There's a town in the Valley, Alamo. It has the highest poverty rate in the United States. And there's four towns in that area that have the highest poverty rate in the United States. So if we have extra gifts, we want to go down there. So I went, uh, I have family in McAllen Mm. and uh, I have uh, another part of family that lives in Harlingen. Mm -hmm. And I went there a a couple months ago and I checked it out and I was like, there's a lot of of small little towns going down there and you see the poverty in some of them. Because some, yeah. some of them have, like, broken down houses, like, the streets are all messed up, and it, it's crazy. It's crazy, I know. I mean, just, uh, uh, like, four miles from McAllen or four miles from Mercedes and Nuevo Progreso or Reynosa, you actually see people living in ten houses, you know, ten sheds, you know, just yeah. pieces of tin as a roof you know, on the side. It's really, it's heartbreaking. What is it? When I was a kid, uh, so I have family, like, right across the border in Reynosa. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was a kid, we used to have my my grandma and her family had to like tell us to bring clothes, bring toys, bring stuff, and we used to bring that across the border to our other family mm-hmm. who lived in like uh, these it was brick houses, but it looked like they were made of mud, mm-hmm. like old, old, old houses back in the day, and it just tripped me the hell out that people still live like that. And y'all would send clothes to them. We would send clothes, send toys, some food, all that stuff. I heard a comedian. Yeah. I heard a Houston comedian say recently. Uh, 
uh, we were so poor that my family in Mexico used to send us clothes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's true. It's like mm-hmm. uh, my brother, uh, he was so poor that he used to like shower with the hose outside. And they used to have like a porta potty outside too when he was a kid. It was it's crazy how people live. Did you ever run into Enrique Chacon and his rooster? Oh man, yeah, I wish. Oh, he's in the is, that was in Salvador. El oh, Salvador. Salvador. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I he had, had a pet rooster they carried around. <laughs> uh, my, my grandma had a parrot, and they called him Pepe, uh-huh. which is funny because that's my nickname. And also the Fiesta mascot. Yeah, to food stores. Exactly. And then when that parrot died, I was so happy because I was the only Pepe in the house after that. <laughs> he had competition. Yeah. <laughs> Pepe wants a cookie. <laughs> he would talk too. Yeah. It was crazy. No, but like, uh, are you first, second, or third generation Mexican? Uh, my uh, grandmother, trying to, oh, my great grandmother uh, moved here from Mexico. My great grandmother. So then my grandmother died. When my mom was just an infant, she lives in Mercedes, and my mom lives in Mercedes, and then my mom moved to Houston. So I guess I'm three or four generations down. Yeah, yeah. so I'm first-generation Mexican-American. My mm-hmm. parents are come straight from Mexico. Mm-hmm. My dad was born in San Luis Potosí, and my mom was born in Michoacán, but then she grew up in Mexico de Efe. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a weird thing because like uh, I haven't been to Mexico since I was a baby. Like mm-hmm. uh, the, the city, Mexico City, I don't remember anything, but like, uh, I, I still feel that culture, though. Ever since I was a kid, I grew up in it. My parents taught me, you know, Mexican culture and stuff like that. Like, And I, the first time coming to see you, it kind of, and then Second Ward. First time I moved into Second Ward. What tripped me out is, like, it reminded me of home because I live in Montrose now, and there's nothing yeah. Hispanic over there. <laughs> I found a Mexican restaurant close by that reminds me a little bit, but, like, it's just... It, it feels so gentrified over there. Right. And then when I was over here for a minute, I felt like home. It felt like the Southwest because in the Southwest, there's another. Uh, I grew up with uh, blacks, Hispanics, and Asians when I went to school. So around me was always these different types of cultures, never never really white people. And then, yeah, it always tripped me out. Well, when I visit Mexico, uh, especially the first times, so I didn't go there until my 20s or something. But it was just, I didn't even realize it, that how calm I was. I, I just felt so at home. I mean, there's nothing but Mexicans. You'd go into a very, very nice restaurant, and I was like, I'm sure they have a caste system, but but um, everybody was Mexican, so I felt real comfortable. While when I go to a, a nice restaurant here, like in the Galleria or somewhere like that, I feel a little uneasy. I feel a little yeah. like, I don't know how I feel here. And over there in Mexico, no matter where you go, there's Mexicans, of course. So you just, I just felt really comfortable, you know. So yeah, it's, it's a it's weird a, feeling. It's a, a real settling thing. I was taller than everybody. I remember walking <laughs> through a busy market and everybody was short. I was like, golly, they're little. But, you know. <laughs> How tall are you? I'm just six feet, but the Mexicans are little. <laughs> yeah, I'm five, six. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm jealous, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh... Uh, Jesse Saldana, he has this Tuesday Gigante show. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there was a joke. I was just like, I've never been on a show where the host is the tallest one out of every all the <laughs> comics. <laughs> it was crazy. Everybody was like under 5'9". Oh, yeah. It was wild. Right. But uh, so what school did you go to when you were a kid? Well, 
It's funny you should say that because you introduced me by saying, I know your name is Richard. Yeah. I know your first name. That I know for sure. Yeah. Well, you don't. Oh, shit. <laughs> if you were to see my license, it doesn't say Richard. Okay. When I went to elementary school, which is in Cottage Grove, it's uh, at the near the corner of T.C. Jester and I-10. And it was really a white neighborhood. And there was maybe two Latinos per class. And I was one of them. So my mom, my birth name, and this is a scoop I've never told anybody, my birth name is Eliasar. And so when I went to school in kindergarten, those white teachers could not pronounce Eliasar. So they christened me Ellis. They just said, put my name as Ellis, convenient for them. And my mom, she grew up in Mercedes where you'd get punished for speaking Spanish. So she was scared of teachers in her own way, so she didn't say anything. And my dumb self, well, it happened in kindergarten. Everybody started calling me Ellis, even my family, that when I got my Social Security card, I got it under Ellis. Thus, when I got my driver's license, I got it under Ellis. Thus, when I lost my driver's license a couple of years ago and I went to give my birth certificate, they were like, well, who's Elias Reyes? you got to prove that you changed your name legally. And I said, but I didn't change it. It just happened, you know. I had a mess on my hands. <laughs> and then when I was in high school, I realized that, hey, wait, Ellis, I've never met a Mexican named Ellis. And so it's another long story I'm not going to get into, yeah. but I changed it to Richard. Well, in high so, school. Sounds like you're on an Ellis Island. Oh, <laughs> is it fun day at the secret group? <laughs> That's interesting, though. So uh, what high school did you go to? Uh, well, I went to George Washington, which later turned into law enforcement school on Memorial and Shepherd. And then I went to Marshall. We moved to the north side. Then I went to San Jacinto High School which was a, like a vocational school. And then I graduated from Reagan, so I moved around. We moved around a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So did you move around just because your, your parents were, like, working everywhere or? Well, see, I left home when I was 14. Mm -hmm. I had an abusive stepfather. So I started living different places, and that's the reason why I was moving a lot. Yep. That's crazy. And, like, you do, you, I know you've done acting, too. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you get into that? Well... Um, it has to do with my roots, I guess. Uh, in 1980, a movie came out, a miniseries. We didn't have cable then, called Roots by Alex Haley. Mm -hmm. And it was the first miniseries, and it showed African Americans how they evolved in the United States from slaves and followed Alex Haley's family. And it was a huge success and there were even riots so because African Americans were like what this is what happened to us you know and so I got real interested in that and I decided I wanted to find my roots you know so being raised in a white neighborhood hardly exposed and back then we didn't have all these Spanish stations you know back then in the 50s and 60s we only had one Spanish station called Calavela, and it was mainly for old people. And uh, that family's done a lot for Houston, though, I have to say. But for a Chicano kid, it wasn't, they didn't play Tejano music, for instance. And they had one Tejano station in Rosenberg, KFRD, that only uh, went on the air from 12 to 3, which I was in school. So there was no Spanish newspaper that I knew of. There was no Spanish television. There was no Spanish in my life. 
So I decided I wanted to seek it. So I started going to nightclubs that were in Spanish or comedy shows that were in Spanish, mm -hmm. uh, reading the newspapers, seeing novelas, whatever I could do. And I went to the first uh, Hispanic Latino Cinco de Mayo, and there was a group there called Teatro Bilingüe de Houston. And I went up to that table and I said, I want to volunteer. And they said, oh, great. We need a stage manager. You can come tomorrow. And I was all happy. <laughs> Yippee, I want to be a manager on my first day. But little did I know that was like mopping the stage and washing the props and feeding lines to the actors. But I loved it. And so I joined Talento Bilingüe de Houston. Later, I changed the name to, because uh, we stopped doing theater and we opened a big center at Jensen and Navigation. And it did everything uh, besides theater. It did uh, art visual art and singing and dancing and film. And so mm -hmm. we called it Talento Bilingüe de Houston, TBH, which is now it's known as TBH. So I founded that center, and um, and uh, that's how I, I, I started in the arts. Have you been in movies? If you don't blink your eyes, yeah. I've had a few. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few movies. I have a, what do they call it, IMBD, where you look oh, yeah. up an actor, I have an IMBD. You can... You'll see about 10. It looks impressive, you know, 10 movies. Yeah. But I only have a line here and there. I was in uh, Bad Girls with Drew Barrymore and RoboCop 2. But okay. everybody in Houston was in RoboCop. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's uh, not impressive. They filmed it in Houston, yeah, right? The RoboCop 2. Two, yeah. Houston, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I've done some other things and uh, movie-wise. And, uh, uh, and, I've, and I've acted... On the stage here in Houston locally, I've acted at the Alley Theater and the ensemble stages, Main Street, most of them. So you, you like that uh, entertainment, right? Well, the problem was I joined TBH in 81, and uh, I was in almost every play they did for about two years. And then they had no money, so the directors left to San Antonio, and I inherited by default the, the place and became director in 1983. So from then on, I felt kind of guilty putting myself in plays. So I didn't act anymore at Talento Bilingue at all since then. Uh, but I did act at these other theaters around town. And then I wrote Pancho Claus. That was a play at first. So Pancho Claus was a play. Pancho Claus was a play. I saw on their schedule in 1981 a play that was named Pancho Claus. And I said, director, what is this about? And he says, well, we're at the Ripley House. At that time, we're at the Ripley House Community Center. And they need their theater space because the cafeteria for their Christmas programs, a bunch of them. So we're going to take this play on tour, like to, like to libraries and parks and community centers. And I said, well, what's that about? And they said, well, we don't know yet because we haven't written it. But they knew I was taking writing at the University of Houston. They said, you take a stab at it. I said, okay, well, what are you thinking about? And he said, well, we're thinking about a, a man with a sombrero and a sarape pulling a burro, pancho claws, you know. And I was thinking Edward Olmos had just came out and Luis Valdez with a movie called Zoot Suit. Yeah. And it was all the rage in Houston. They were having Zoot Suit contests, fashion shows. They were having lowrider contests. And so I wrote a play based on that. It was an adaptation of The Night Before Christmas. So I wrote the poem first, you know, and what to my wondering eyes should appear but eight lowrider cars all jacked down in the rear. <laughs> <laughs> or Amaya Paya están en la cama, mom in her nightgown, ah, tu sabes, dad don't wear pajamas, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the director liked the poem. He said, well, go write the play. So I wrote a play with it. We started doing the play. It was real successful. We got some coverage. And then uh, 
we started being asked to perform at the Astro Arena for Navidad del Barrio or Astro World Holiday in the Park. The play was too little to do that. So we made a band. So it's also a band that has hip hop dancers and boogie woogie and Latino songs. Uh, so it evolved. It started off as a play and a band. Wow. That's crazy. And it just blew up after that. Well, five years into it, we started getting publicity about it. And five years into it, my community started believing that I really was a poncho clause. <laughs> that I wasn't an actor portraying a role that I created, you know? And they started, there was no, no internet, but they still got a hold of me through mail, old-fashioned mail, or telephone calls, or pulling at my sleeve at performances, and telling me stories like, hey, this family over here, they need help because they, um, their house burned down. Are their moms in jail? Are their grandmas raising, you know, six grandchildren by herself? They had uh -huh. different sad stories. So me and, and some buddies would celebrate Christmas Eve. We'd get in a van. We'd get about 10 family names, collect gifts, and just go out. Had a bottle of wild turkey. <laughs> and go out around the neighborhood and give out gifts. It was fun. Having a good old time. Yeah, good old time. And and we would interrupt Christmas parties that were outside, and I'd come out in my Pontecost suit. People kind of knew how it was and kind of didn't because it was just five years into it. We're 40 years into it now. Yeah. And so uh, that's how it started. And, you know, first year was 10 families, second year was 30 families and 100, and then now we're up to 15,000 presents. So. I mean, you're kind of like a local celebrity in Houston. Mm, maybe locally, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, when I first heard about you – and I saw the pictures. I was like, "What? The, what is this? Like a cholo Santa?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> it tripped me out. I had a, uh, I had a uh, Anglo principal introduce me to school right one time, saying, "And here he is, boys and girls, Sancho Claus." Sancho. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I don't think that's the image you wanted at school. <laughs> no, it's, <funny. laughs> it's like, hey, girls. The Latino teachers all started giggling and whispering to each other, like, <laughs> "Oh no." Claus. Um, uh, by the yeah. way, for the non-speaking audience out there, Sancho is a guy who comes and sleeps with your wife when you're not home. And yeah. That's the Sancho. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so, like, when you, whenever it was happening, whenever people were just coming up to you going, like, oh, Pancho Claus, can you help us? How did you feel? Well, of course you're going to feel, you're going to feel, you know, happy. I mean, you get recognized and... Mm -hmm. People get a bike because of you or get a present because of you, and it's sentimental, melancholy. Mm -hmm. But you also feel nervous because you're like, am I going to be able to get enough presents this year, you know? So you're a little nervous, especially last year, COVID. You know, we get most of our presents by putting out these toy boxes at locations, at bars. Uh, there's one at Rudyard's and there's one at El Patio, a little plug there, uh, right now. And we put out these toy boxes around at bars, restaurants, cantinas, like that. But last year at COVID, everything was shut down. So where are we going to put our boxes? And we had more people than ever. Yeah. It was a real challenge last year, but we did it. And so it's always a worry. You know, every year it's a worry. Are we going to meet the demand? Because like I was telling you, when I do these interviews, we might get a donation here or there from this interview, but we'll get a lot of people that call us about the gifts. So it's a double-edged sword, and I'm always worried about that. Yeah, because there's a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot there of people. Is, in especially Houston. right now. Now, jobs have come back, and and people are, are starting to work again, and that's great. But a lot of them got way behind on their mortgage, 
or their car, or they lost their house or their car and they have to buy a new one. So a lot of them are still in financial trouble. And so it's important to get these toys to the kids. That's very true. How, how has COVID affected you personally, though? I've been lucky. I've been taking all my shots and uh, been very careful. Uh, last year we gave out toys, and I instead of having the kids come inside, each kid gets seven toys each. We just made boxes of toys and took them. We had like a drive-through, and I sat in the low, I stood in the low rider with windows in front of me and took pictures like that. Uh, so we were blessed. COVID hasn't affected me like that. It did affect me last year because not only was there no place to put boxes, but people would not come and volunteer either. Fifteen thousand toys is a lot of toys to amass and sort and like that, and so people were afraid to come outside. So it was a crazy year last year. I feel a little breathing room this year. Do you feel better? I do like, feel a lot yeah. better. You're you're in a new spot. I remember we were at TBH last time. Right. This is the Latino Learning Center now. This is the Latino Learning Center. You know, I ran TBH for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. Then I went to McAllen, and and then crazy things happened over there, and um, and then I came back. Tried to help them out, but the pandemic, you know, they just made a mess of many things. But Latino Learning Center opened their doors to us, and uh, we're based here now. We're at the corner of Poke and Scott. In case anybody wants to pick up a toy box uh, or come volunteer, we're at Poke and Scott. I'm generally here Monday through Friday, 12 to 6 p.m. Uh, weekends, I try to do appearances and stuff, so yeah. I'm not here so much. But that's the best time to find me here. Uh, from uh, Monday through Friday, 12 to 6. What is it? 3522 Polk Street. Right. Right yeah. at the corner of Pogan Scott, 10 blocks from the secret group. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of the secret group, I know you guys have been putting on a open mic here. Right. And uh, from the couple of times that I've been here, they've been good. They've been really good. Did you come last week? I came last Christmas week, yeah, party? for yeah, the party, good, yeah. yeah. That, that, that was kind of... There were a lot of older people this, that time. <laughs> that damn Danny Guerrero brought his whole family. That was his family? <laughs> I didn't even know. No, but those people gave donations. Oh. Those guys were dropping big bills left and right. Well, okay. So, hey, God That's bless great. them. Awesome. And you know what? Yeah. What All comedians need to practice not only on a hip audience, but they get hired for conventions and conferences. And you need to have some uh, material for older people, too, if you want to make money, be viable. That's so a good point. So every audience is one to practice on. That's a good point. Yeah, but like uh you've seen the comedy scene. Oh, yeah. Right now it's mostly younger people. Of course, yeah. Uh that's what's coming in uh, the newer ones that are coming in, but they don't understand that aspect that you're going to be in a different type of crowd almost every night and you mm-hmm. have to kind of like parlay your material to them a little bit, not not pander but, like, just think, okay, I have these certain types of jokes. Maybe my joke's about, like, family or a grocery store, this or that, will work on a, a different, this audience, as opposed to the stuff that I really want to talk about. All right. Because as a comedian, like, you have to downplay yourself sometimes. It's not always about what you think is best or what you think is funny. It's about, like, you're just trying to make people laugh. And that- you want to take every book and you can. So, yes, maybe the majority are are young people, 20s, 30s, but maybe somebody's going to book you in a black club. Maybe they're going to book you in a gay club, yeah. a Mexican club, all types of people. You've got to be ready for all kinds of material. I've done, yeah. Survive. I've done, uh, I've done some black clubs. Yeah. Uh, there aren't, I haven't done too many Hispanic shows in Houston. It, it's weird because, like, uh, the humor that Hispanics have is kind of different than the American stand-up comedy. 
uh, I, I've heard or I've seen some like uh, Hispanic stand up like mm-hmm. legit set up punch set up mm-hmm. punch but it's way different than the stuff we do here yeah it's true they do a lot more like impersonating like Juan Gabriel or Cantin Plus yeah or more like almost skit like stuff yeah. You know? yeah yeah like characters uh, a lot of yeah. audience work you know working with the audience crowd work yeah yeah so it's a little different yeah but there are some places that that still do it so because like what I do mostly is alternative comedy mm-hmm. and it's a uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get it to be good enough so I can do it at the clubs. I could do it like anywhere. So that way people can just listen to me and understand me. And then I can just do my job, you mm-hmm. know, but that's, that's a hard thing. Cause I've only been doing it for four years. I've like, I met you four years ago. I've gotten a yeah, lot. You better. Help me get an Uber. Yeah. You help this old man get an Uber. <laughs> get quite, well, how do you know how it looks? You know, you're like, you'll just, you'll see it. <laughs> there it is right there. Oh man, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. But yeah, the like the secret group. The secret group. Yeah. Like how did you have you always liked stand up? Well, yes, I've always liked stand up. I went uh, to the comedy annex when it was in West Gray in San Felipe. Then I worked with Mark Babbitt who had the uh laugh stop on um West Gray. Really? And we did a lot of good projects together when we were at uh TBH when I was running TBH, he brought George Lopez for a weekend at TBH. What? Pablo Francisco, all these people. I mean, he, it's a long story, but him and I got along really good, and he appreciated my patronage. And in return, uh, he helped me out at the center by bringing comedians. And then I did open mics like in the early 2000s there, and different, different time periods I've done open mics. I really feel strongly about this is that our, our artistic community, especially the people who give out grant money, uh-huh. whether it's state, national, city, they really don't appreciate the comedy genre of the arts. They'll give grants to, like, theater, dancers, visual artists, et cetera, and, but they don't give grants to comedians. And, and I've been on art panels. I was a member. I was on the board of the Cultural Arts Council of Houston and different ones, and I know how it works. I know wh- how they base their criteria and et cetera. And... The explanation to me was that, well, they're not really like artists, artists. They're, they're out for themselves. And I'm like, you don't think an actor, whether he's in a play at the alley, is out for himself. You don't think a dancer, yeah. a musician. They're all trying to make it just like a comedian is. And even, you know, visual artists, you know, are trying to get a name for themselves. I said, well, comedy's so vulgar. I said, oh, my God, I can list you a name of plays that are vulgar. I've been to a lot of art exhibits that are 18 and of, of over you know, and and let's not even get into the music part, you know, about, and, and I said, it's just part of uh, the genre, you know, and, and, and some is like that and some is not. And so that's what I'm trying to do as a nonprofit. That's why, you know, we're trying to do this comedy open mic. I hope to get some grants to do things for comedians, like maybe have a lot of different workshops, workshops on uh, how to tour workshops on how to do your taxes if you're successful and you need to worry about that and you do uh workshops on uh how to enter comedy festivals you know uh beginning workshops you know i mean comedy i know you can't teach comedy but you can teach pointers one time mike rail came and did us a favor and we had comedy classes for about 10 weeks and we were paying him close to nothing we're paying him like 50 dollars and what he would do with those 50 dollars is he would give them to Guest comedians like Ku Agente or uh, Rich Williams or any of those guys uh-huh. would come, a different comedian every week, to say their experience to those 
new comics, you know? And um, so you can't exactly teach comedy, but you can give pointers on which way to go and what to look out for and how to handle hecklers and all. You know, yeah. th- that comedy class happened about five years ago, and Jesse Saldana was in that class. So you see what can happen if you, you know, put the effort to help comedians, you know? Well, also, if you stick with it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of, like, comedians or open micers who have started comedy that had promise that were really funny that just stopped doing it, you know? If I'm being completely honest, from the people that were in my group, I was the lowest on the totem pole. But because I kept working, because I kept going out, because I just didn't stop i got a lot better mm-hmm. and that's just what happens that's just if, you, if you're dedicated to something and you work really hard at it you will find some type of success later on if you keep doing it and like i don't know jesse jesse has gotten a lot better yeah that, that dude is killing it right now yeah he is well like, he works hard too he works really hard he's out there putting his own videos out and his own sketches out and he's over there promoting and creating you know venues like a producer different places yeah so, yeah tuesday gigante has gotten a lot better yeah yeah he's almost been packing it he's he packed it out the last three times yeah i went it's to crazy. the first one and yeah. yeah i was packed the very first one yeah it's crazy i i am so happy that our community sees that what we're doing and like accepts it and like just comes out and we flourish because of it well, you're asking me, did I always like comedy? And I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, as I said, I started going to there. But what happened is I moved to McAllen and uh, I go to Cine Rey a lot. They have a lot of comedy over there. And, um, and uh, Cine El Rey. And then I had a heart attack in the summer. So I came back to Houston and uh, I retired from my job, take it easy. But I kept on going out a lot, yeah. different places group meetings and different places. So about a month and a half later, I had another heart attack. And so then my son took my keys away from me and said, you're not going nowhere over here. You stay right here. So I got real bored. So I started looking for comedy shows just because I was bored. And I noticed that a long time ago, 20 years ago maybe, 15, you could go to the Houston Chronicle and see a list of all the comedy shows. You can go to Houston Press and see a list of all the comedy shows. And that wasn't available anymore. Presses online and they don't do that anymore. So I said, "Well, that sucks. How are you supposed to know where the comedies are? The open mics." So that's why I started. I said, "I'm gonna make a Facebook page called Comedy Houston via Poncho Claus," and I just started gathering material and kept on and kept on. And it's going. I mean, the first year we got like four thousand likes, you know. Wow. And uh, so I think it was needed. And uh, and. Uh, so that, that's how we started it by by doing because yeah. I was bored and nothing else to do and now it's a monster. <laughs> I get up every morning around seven or eight, spend about two hours on it, and then go back to my other chores. So, yeah, it is kind of like a little job too that you have to get up and make a post and then figure out what the best time to do it and this and that. Like, yeah. uh, you're really you hit the nail on the head when I first started comedy. They really. I, I didn't know where to go. Yeah. I couldn't find any spot. I looked online. There were a couple of open mics here and there. Uh, the reason I, I, I did RUDS the first time. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I did RUDS is because I found it online. And I didn't know it at, the t- at the time, but that was the longest running open mic. It was running for like six years at that time. And I found your, your posts. I found your page. And in uh, Comedy Stage Time in Houston, I found that one too. And those are the very few 
Very few. Well, you know, between. I tried to make uh, my Facebook a little interesting, so I started adding stuff like little success stories or little things that comedians would post about. Uh, made them feel good. You post birthdays all the time. <laughs> well, that's what I was getting to. <laughs> Facebook started sending me these birthday notices, and because I have all these comedian friends, all of a sudden there's like 500 comedians around. If you didn't know, yeah. And so I mean, around this area, and so uh, I started noticing I was getting all these birthday announcements from Facebook. So I said, you know what, I'm going to start posting the birthdays. And a lot of comedians have come and said that made their day because you know, comedians, a lot of them, there's they they. they I don't know. They just need the encouragement. You they're know? egotistical, okay? Yeah. Anything that mentions them, they're like, I like this. That would be honest. I, I was going to say lonely. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> so they get a happy birthday at the top of the day makes their day sometimes. So yeah. I was happy to hear that. But the funniest comment I got about me posting birthdays is was, was at Jesse's first uh, Latino night. Yeah. And uh, Carlos Aguilar, who I never met, was there. And after the show, I went up to him, and he says, uh, well, you know, I've never met you, but I saw you in the audience, and I said, oh, my God, I got to be good because my birthday's coming up. (laughs) 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 By the way, that podcast that you and Carlos did. Antonio. Antonio. You know who Carlos Aguilar is? He's a reporter. Uh, Antonio Aguilar. Antonio Aguilar. Sorry, Antonio. Yeah. I've only hey, met you once. At least he knows your birthday. Yeah, at least I know your birthday. <laughs> I've only met you once, Antonio. Forgive me. That's it. I'm going to be mean. But anyway, yeah. but luckily I'm going to save myself with this comment. The yeah. the podcast that you and Antonio did, oh my God, I, I never laughed harder. It was so enjoyable from the very beginning to the very end. You guys ought to team up on a podcast. We used to. Oh, Uh, did you? So during the quarantine, well, we had uh, a little podcast ourselves with uh, another comic. His name is Will Loden. Mm -hmm. And it was called Los Lonely Boys. Mm. And it was a comedy podcast. What we would do is we would just talk about random stuff that happened throughout the day or something and just like, you know, bullshit with each other or like yell at each other, roast each other and stuff like that. It was fun. And... Like you said, like you could tell the chemistry that he and chemistry I had. Chemistry was great, yeah. Because we worked on that for a while. Like yeah. uh, when I first started doing podcasts, I didn't really know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, running their podcast, uh, it was tough because their Will and Antonio are two big characters. They have their own egos. They have their own like you know uh, charisma. They have their own everything, and they were established and they were comedians and they they know how to do comedy. So me coming in there, I was kind of like scared and like nervous because I was like, <laughs> I I didn't know if I could like handle it and just yeah. keep up with them. Right. So after a couple of episodes, we got our rhythm. Uh, we understood like I understood my place. My place wasn't just to like come in there and talk and be the, the center of attention. My place was to let them talk and then just come in with tags or just say something funny and then come out like a boxer, mm, yeah, you know, yeah. hit a jab here, uppercut, boom, boom, combo. Go, get back out mm-hmm. and like I, that really helped me to get better in podcasts talking to people and stuff like that and just understanding the whole dance of conversation right if that makes sense yeah yeah like that antonio is a really good dude i i've always thought he was really funny and like when i first met him i didn't understand like how good he was you know mm-hmm. Because when I first started doing the podcast with him, I didn't know how much of a professional he was. Because with the episode that we did on on my podcast, right. that that was the first episode where I understood, oh, oh, this is this is a professional guy. 
he knows how to podcast. Like he knows how to talk, what, what to talk about, where to take the conversation. And I was like, whoa, I was really impressed. And then that kind of taught me a little better because like the episodes afterwards, I kind of started understanding like where my place was and how to do this, right. you know? And with every episode, I'm always learning something new. Like uh, I really like this episode because I'm learning about somebody who is in the comedy world, mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily do comedy themselves, right. you know? And with you, I also like the fact that you give back to the community, you know? And that's a special thing because when I was younger, and like you said, when you were when you were younger, you didn't see too much of a Hispanic presence anywhere, you know? Right. And same with me. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I grew up in uh, Southwest. Mm-hmm. I grew up in A-Leaf. All of us, like, the Hispanics and stuff, were. it was mostly gangs, people just like fighting all the time, arguing, doing stupid shit, getting high, doing drugs, drinking and stuff like that. But I didn't see any positive influences from my elders, you know? And then now that I'm getting older, I'm understanding. It's like, oh, what am I doing for the community, you know? Like, what have I done for people? Like, I keep talking about, like, oh, nobody did this, nobody did this for me, or I didn't do that. Like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And that, that's the one thing that I respect about you because you actually care about the community and you're doing something about it, and it's working, yeah. you know? Like, well, it's a, it's a labor of love. It's like when I go speak to teenagers <laughs> and, you know, have to give them advice, I always say, and it's an old cliche, I know, but it's true. You know, I've never worked a day in my life because I've always done exactly what I wanted to do. When I worked at a bus as a bus boy at the Rice Hotel at 13 or 14, I wanted to do that because I'd never been around white people before. I was looking at them in their environment. When I was a dishwasher <laughs> you on were researching, Street, researching yeah, these white at people. a steakhouse, I was a dishwasher. <laughs> There was nothing but black ladies back there cooking. They were big, boozing black ladies that were nasty as hell and used to flirt with me and make me uncomfortable because I was just a little pimply teenager. <laughs> but they made me laugh, you know, and that was so much fun. And, and every job I've had, I was a cab driver for a while. I was going to call. Every job I've had, it's a job that I enjoyed, you know, even as a grunt job. And, you know, and even when I, you know, when, when I was about in my mid-20s, I started thinking, you know, every job I've had, it's real quick for me to be made a manager or something. So why don't I really pick something I really like that's fun? And that's one of the other reasons I went into uh, joined Talento Bilingue. And um, so ever since then, I really have been doing what I love. I mean, when I was uh, my first uh, 20, 35 years, until I was about 55, you could never go to a TVH center where I was director, and they would never tell you, oh, Richard didn't come in today because he was sick. Because I never missed a day. Yeah. Even if I felt a little bad, and, and God bless me that I didn't have anything serious, but I always went to work because I loved it so much. I'd be lost. Now I'm older, and I have heart attacks and diabetes, and, COVID, and still I don't hardly miss work. But when I do get tr- put into the hospital, which is once a year, it's almost like that's my vacation time. <laughs> 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 okay, it's vacation time. Let's sit here for three days. Uh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like you said, you worked a lot of jobs. What was your favorite job that you worked? My favorite job, minus the arts, you know. Yeah. I started in 81. Aside from that. Before, I guess, yeah. you know, cab driving. I drove cab a cab driving. for a while. And what was interesting about cab driving, like I said, I really liked learning about white people or black people or out of my element, you know. And in cab driving, you learn everything because 
people like you and I sitting here, even though we're on the air, we're more friendly to each other. We're more open when you're one-on-one with somebody. When you're with a group of people, you kind of watch what you say. So in a cab, you're by yourself with somebody, and all of a sudden, they're opening up to you, especially if it's at night and they're drunk, you know? (laughs) So you might be taking a CEO to the airport. I took Andy Warhol to the airport one time. Andy Warhol? Yeah, and you might be doing that, or you might be taking a prostitute or a drug dealer. But you get some interesting stories because it's just you and them, you know? And so this was before taxicab conventions and uh, confessions and <laughs> cameras in the cab. Now probably, probably people are scared. But then uh, I really got to learn about people. I learned. Uh, it was a real education to see how people talked and behaved and, you know, that, that I could get along with anybody, you know, whether it was a CEO or, uh, or somebody homeless, you know. I don't know how they caught a cab, but, <laughs> but it's good for the story. <laughs> I mean, but that uh, that just shows like you're you're comfortable with who you are, and the fact that you can get along with anybody means like you're a good person, obviously. Hmm. I guess I'll yeah, take it. Because well, like <laughs> there there are some people where I'm walking down the street, and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to talk to them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not today. You, you seem very friendly. Like, well, if I come up to you, of course I'll think we'll have a conversation. I was. Uh, there's a story why I don't like to give homeless people money. It has to do with a uh, 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 little kid that got beat up by a homeless person. That turned me off. And so, but without getting too much into that, I have that policy. So I was over here near downtown, on Dowling, used to be Dowling, the Chevron there. And I got out of my car, and a homeless person told me, hey, do you have a dollar? And I go, no, sorry. Then he goes, oh, you think you're better than me, don't you? I was like, buddy. I'm I'm like five dollars from being you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, me too. So I don't get along with everybody. <laughs> well, like on the sh- other hand, on Christmas Day we go out and look after we do our rounds here. Uh huh. Me and my son would go buy tamales. Alamo tamales used to be right here till last year. And we buy a bunch of tamales, put a red bow on them, and ride around the Star Hope Mission finding homeless people and giving them some bucks and some tamales. So I'm not completely against it, but. Money, uh, yeah, just the money part, because yeah. you're giving out food, which is better than yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. I mean, like, uh, so what is your favorite part about working in this, doing this, just doing what you're doing? You know, it keeps you young. I mean, because uh, we mainly advocate and help young actors, you know, artists. Look at all the young people come to the comedy night, you know? So it keeps you young in that respect. I would feel kind of awkward going to a comedy show at my age and just, what is this old man doing here? But I'm welcome when I walk in, you know? Like, yeah. oh, everybody knows my name. So You're well-respected. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm recognized. So yeah. you feel at home. You just feel at home. And so that's because of this job, you know? And so... I guess that's that's one of the the good aspects of it, the benefits. Yeah. What are the bad aspects? Getting knifed, getting beat up, because back in the day, until about ten years ago, I used to work with gangs, and that was my choice. I uh, one time I was, uh, you know, my sister was killed in a little drive-by, and that's when gangs were really bad in Houston, and. Um, that was like the late 80s and early 80s and like that. 
So I started a gang prevention program. As a matter of fact, TBH was given to me, my organization, as a gang prevention program for youth. Not so much that we were just accepting gangs, but it was a high-risk area, and we were giving them an alternative to gangs. And so, um, but, you know, <clears throat> my tires would get slashed or I would get beat up or something like that. I remember one time I was walking a friend of mine who was with United Way, giving her a tour of the facility and write big letters. I'm talking about five feet high on this wall. It said in red paint. Can you cuss? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it yeah said, you can cuss. Fuck Poncho Claus. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and I hadn't even thought about it because it had been up. And uh, and uh, she said, Richard, she said, why are you bringing me through here? You give me a tour trying to impress me. Why would you show me this? <laughs> I said, I kind of forgot about it. But the good news is, you know, I've talked to his family. He's going to come. He feels bad about it. He's going to come paint it. And I said, but but I can't complain because on any of that bad stuff because I chose to work with that. When I go to a school, a principal will call me, hey, we've heard about you. Can you come out here and do some some after school programming with like it's all go and they'll say okay what kids do you want do you want the artists or the actors or what are the kids with the best grades as a reward and I said no I want you to pick the ten worst kids you have like bullies or or, or fighters or or disrespectful or whatever uh-huh. don't go to school and then from there we'll build an after school club and then this club will be so badass that good kids will want to join it and then you have twenty kids mixed up. And the bad kids learn from the good kids that, hey, you don't have to fight every day. And the good kids learn from the bad kids, hey, I should appreciate what I have and the kind of parents that I have. And so what I'm trying to say is any bad stuff that happened is my own doing. I could easily say, oh, no, my program is only working with A and B students because the others need to be home studying, you know. But I did it. I went the opposite way. No, my program is the ones that don't want to study and are just getting into travesuras and getting into trouble. Yeah. And so so it's by design, any kind of bad things that happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into beatings. <laughs> That's just your thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like thing. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I, most people don't know this about me, but when I was a kid, I used to get in trouble a lot. What? Yeah. I would have never thought that. Oh, yeah. I was a, I was a bad kid. Uh there was a point where I went to, uh, in, in the A-Leaf ISD, it's called ALC, mm-hmm. which is called the A-Leaf Learning Center. Right. And it was one of those schools where, like, uh, they send you there if you're, like, really bad. And I didn't, I did something stupid, but I didn't think I was, like, worth going there. What I did was, like, I pulled the fire alarm at mm-hmm. uh, my uh, during summer school, and they didn't know what to do with me. So they were just like, oh, we're just going to send you to ALC. And the one thing I learned, it felt like jail. Hmm. It was weird because, like, the first day walking in there, I remember, like, walking through the doors and there were metal detectors. And there were teachers, like, standing on each side. Mm-hmm. And they were like, empty your pockets, uh, take your shoes off, take your socks off, and, like, and just walk through. And then they would, like, pat me down. And then what they did was, like, instead of giving us backpacks or letting us use backpacks, they gave us milk crates. Mm-hmm. And we used to put our books and stuff in there and walk around. And then during lunch... What they would do is they would separate us. Like every other seat would have a kid, and you couldn't talk to anybody, couldn't look at anybody. All you had to do was just sit there and eat your food, and then that's it. Damn. Yeah, it it tripped me out. But, like, after that, I went to CLC, which is an in-school program, which is just like that. And because that's what they do to 
once you go to ALC, you go to CLC, they transfer you over, they do all the paperwork and stuff, and then they transition you back into school, regular school. But then after that, I just couldn't do, I couldn't do school anymore because I was so used to being in ALC and because it was so structured. It, it it was better for me because they they told me exactly what to do, I did it, I I got A's and B's in there, and then it was like it was fine. But when I went back to regular school, I was like I don't know what to do. Do do I sit down? Do I go to class? And I just kept skipping again. And yeah, one time Jackson Middle School it was a while back called me, and they said we're going to give you fifty dollars an hour to come and sit with these kids for three hours while their teachers take a break. Okay, what's the catch? Well, this is called an alternative class, and these kids are really, really bad. And so these kids, they couldn't go to the lunchroom. They couldn't have P.E. They couldn't go to assemblies, Christmas shows or stuff. They couldn't go to the, to the school store. They were like prisoners. Yeah. And then they were so bad they were deemed that they couldn't be taught. So they all had he- headphones on, and they, had, uh, they just did nothing there. It was so boring. And so I went in there, and uh, I used some little tricks of mine and got their attention finally. But it took a couple of days. And, uh, and I let them know. I, they said, well, why are you here? And I said, I'm here because your teachers need a break. But the main reason I'm here is to get rid of this program. This is the worst program I ever saw, you know. And within about two months, I was out of a job. We got them back in regular classes. It was ridiculous. These kids were already in eighth grade, and they were going to go to Austin High School and go with the general population without learning how to act, you know? Yeah. And so I'm really proud of that moment, you know, Uh, because a lot of people just throw away kids, and I really strongly believe, like Will Rogers said, I've never met a man that I couldn't like or something like that. Same thing. All kids, unless there's something that's physically, medically wrong with them, but all kids, badass kids included, can can be saved. They just need some attention. They just need an adult in their life to 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 ask them how they're doing and you know show them a little bit of care. So that's that's a really good point. I never had that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And like my mom was working all the time. My dad was out. I was out on the streets just hanging out with stupid people doing dumb stuff. And like I met like I wasn't in a gang, but I knew gang members and stuff like that. And I used to hang around with them, you know. And it was. I don't know. It was just weird. It was a weird time for me as a kid. I was I would always skip school. I would smoke weed. I would just do stupid stuff, and I didn't really care. But if I had, if I think about it now, if I had one person that just came to me like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" Probably things would have been different. Yeah, you know, for sure. Man, that's commendable though. That is commendable. I don't know. Like going from that, helping the community and stuff like that. Like, how do you feel about your life right now? I feel very satisfied. I feel, uh, you know, the big worry right now, I'm 70 this year, and Pontra Claus is 40. So I have a plan where I'm going to wear the zoot suit all year round and just be 40. Start. <laughs> <laughs> just be 40. Seriously, though, folks. Um, <laughs> take my wife. Now, nah. uh, the most asked question I get asked at the age 70 is, in a nice way, is, What's going to happen to Pancho Claus when you, when you, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I have a plan. I'm trying to get my community to realize that Pancho Claus is not Richard Reyes. Pancho Claus is a community. It's a spirit. It's a movement. And just like Santa Claus is not just one person, 
And so uh, this year, for instance, I usually take off on Christmas Day with me in a caravan of police officers with sirens and low-rider cars and go to a neighborhood. This year, I'm trying to get some volunteer. We've got a car club. I'm trying to get some volunteer car clubs, and I'll supply them with some toys. They have to raise them. And I want, like, maybe three car clubs, and I want them to have a person dressed like Claus. I'll help them. And we want to put four Claus's out there because I've gotten calls during other Christmases where they're like, hey, Richard, there's a guy out here. He's dressed, like, in a red raincoat saying he's Claus and he's going in a truck giving out gifts. You know, the senior's picture. I said, no, tell them to come over here and I'll give them some presents to give out more because that's what we want. We want the people to know it's not just me. When my time is up, we want it to keep going and other people can do it, you know. And so uh, that's what I would like my legacy to be, that it doesn't yeah. stop when I'm gone. You know, it keeps going. It's kind of like in uh, that movie Batman the Dark Knight where Batman's going out, but then he has copies of them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm not saying you're out here being a vigilante, but yeah. like, I, I kind of get it. People will see you, yeah. they 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 revere, they love it, and they respect it, and they're like, "Damn, I want to do that too." So I I like that idea. Though well, you know, one time a couple of years back, I had a, like a mini stroke on on a cruise, and I told the driver, a friend of mine named Miguel, was driving me. Luckily, there was a. a um, firefighters in our possession they came out of nowhere and said could we go with you I'm like fine and so I told Miguel you know what I'm not feeling good so I'm going to have to go to the hospital or something right now in the middle of this so what's going to happen is Renee's going to drive you're going to put on my coat hat glasses and I'm going to go with the fireman and so we did and nobody knew <laughs> they took pictures of him like he was Poncho Claus he looks nothing like me but people don't see me close up you know Maybe a few comedians see me close up, but they see me on television, you know? Yeah. And between the dark glasses and the hat and the cape. You can't you know? tell. And so yeah. it works. It works. It doesn't have to be me is what I found out. So I can rest. Yeah, that's true. So That's true. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point. It doesn't always have to be you. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's like, it's, uh, Pancho Claus is now more than you. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a it, movement. It, yeah, it's a movement. Yeah. Which is crazy. And, you know, just look at the news. People are doing terrible things to kids. The Parents point. killing. Talking to the mic. Yeah. Oh, people yeah. are doing terrible things to kids. Uh, <laughs> just look at the news. Uh, parents are killing their own babies, you know, and uh, abusing them and all kinds of stuff. So if there was ever a time that we really need to support kids and put some smiles on their faces and some happiness in their life. It's now, you know? Yeah. And with COVID and them having to be inside and not have friends, it's now, you know, that we need to step up and, and ensure that they're going to get some happiness in their life. That's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. That's a very good point. Uh, so we're at an hour now, and I know you say that you're your podcast listening is only an hour. Like you like to listen to podcasts <laughs> at just an hour. <laughs> That's, funny. That's true. I like to listen to podcasts, but you know, of course it's with me. It's different now. <laughs> <laughs> we can go out for three hours if you want. I don't know. <laughs> what I like to say though, is that um, if you want to help Pancho Claus, come by here at the Latino learning center uh, between 12 and six Monday through Friday and pick up a toy box, take it to your business or go to our GoFundMe, which is uh GoFundMe. 2021 of oh, Pancho Claus 2021 toy drive and uh, if if 
my page, my comedy page, has ever helped you, advertised you, whether you're a venue or a comic, consider uh, making a little donation. It's like I, I just said a while ago, the 5 and $10 donations, they add up. We got $20,000 in 5 and $10 donations. And it really does my heart good when I look through the donation list, because even if you uh, give anonymously, I get to see the names. And it really does my heart good to see comics that have donated, like Slade Ham and Jose Pena and Mike Rayo, Pat Thomas, you know. Uh, and no matter what the amount, it is very much appreciated. All right, I'm going to make a donation. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh, here today. we go. Here we go. Uh, I don't have much, but I'll give you 20 bucks. Oh, for sure. that's great. Especially <laughs> since you walked all the way over here. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, uh, keep in touch, and our comedy nights are going to start again in the third week of January, and uh, we're looking forward to doing that again. Yeah, at the Latino Learning Center, right, 3522 Polk. Right. Uh, yeah. Or you could come and volunteer, too. So we need volunteers to help. Especially for this busy mm -hmm. holiday season. Uh, where can they find you? They can find me at 3522 Polk, Monday through Friday. If, if you want to just... Drop in. I'm here 12 to 6, Monday through Friday. Other than that, I'm making appearances or meetings in the morning. But you can call us. You know, I'm on Facebook. My phone number is everywhere, 713-208-0606. But it's everywhere. And um, call me if you want an appointment for a different time than what I said. All right. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank I really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, it's been a minute. All right. Feliz Navidad. At least not me that. I don't know. Jesse Jesse has gotten a lot better. Yeah. That, that dude is killing it right now. Yeah, he is. Well, like, he works hard, too. He works really hard. He's out there putting his own videos out and his own sketches out, and he's over there promoting and creating, you know, venues like a producer, different places. Yeah. So, yeah. Tuesday Gigante has gotten a lot better. Yeah. yeah. He's almost been packing it. He's, he packed it out the last three times. Yeah. I went it's to the crazy. first one, and yeah. yeah, it was packed the very first one, yeah. It's crazy. I, I am so happy that our community sees that what we're doing and, like, accepts it and, like, just comes out and we flourish because of it. Well, you were asking me, did I always like comedy? And I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I as I said, I started going to there. But what happened is I moved to McAllen and uh, I go to Cine Rey a lot. They have a lot of comedy over there. And, um, and uh, Cine Rey. And then I had a heart attack in the summer, so I came back to Houston, and uh, I retired from my job, take it easy, but I kept on going out a lot, yeah. different places, group meetings and different places. So about a month and a half later, I had another heart attack. And so then my son took my keys away from me and said, you're not going nowhere over here, you stay right here. So I got real bored. So I started looking for comedy shows just because I was bored, and I noticed that when, a long time ago, 20 years ago maybe, 15, you could go in the Houston Chronicle and see a list of all the comedy shows. You can go to Houston yep. Press and see a list of all the comedy shows. And that wasn't available anymore. Press is online, and they don't do that anymore. So I said, well, that sucks. How are you supposed to know where the comedy are, the open mics? So that's why I started. I said, I'm going to make a Facebook page called Comedy Houston via Poncho Claus. And I just started gathering material and kept on and kept on and it's going i mean the first year we got like four thousand likes you know wow. and uh so i think it was needed and uh, and uh 
so that, that's how we started it by by doing because yeah. I was bored and nothing else to do, and now it's a monster. <laughs> I get up every morning around seven or eight, spend about two hours on it, and then go back to my other chores. So, yeah, it is kind of like a little job too that you have to get up and make a post and then figure out what the best time to do it and this and that. Like, yeah. uh, you really you hit the nail on the head when I first started comedy. They really. I, I I didn't know where to go. Yeah. I couldn't find any spot. I looked online. There were a couple of open mics here and there. Uh, the reason I, I, I did Ruds the first time. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I did Ruds is because I found it online. And I didn't know at the, t- at the time, but that was the longest running open mic. It was running for like six years at that time. And I found your, your posts. I found your page. And in uh, Comedy Stage Time in Houston, I found that one too. And those were the very few... Well, you know, between. I tried to make uh, my Facebook a little interesting, so I started adding stuff, like little success stories or little things that comedians would post about, uh, made them feel good. You post birthdays all the time. <laughs> well, that's what I was getting to. <laughs> Facebook started sending me these birthday notices, and because I have all these comedian friends all of a sudden. There's like 500 comedians around, if you didn't know. Yeah. And so, I mean, around this area. And so, uh, I started noticing i was getting all these birthday announcements from facebook so i said you know what i'm going to start posting the birthdays and a lot of comedians have come and said that made their day because you know comedians a lot of them there's they they, they just i don't know they just need the encouragement you they're know? egotistical okay yeah. anything that mentions them they're like i like this <laughs> I'm be honest. I, I was gonna say lonely <laughs> <laughs> that too <laughs> So to get a happy birthday at the top of the day makes their day sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I was happy to hear that. But the funniest comment I got about me posting birthdays is what was at Jesse's first uh, Latino night. Yeah. And uh, Carlos Aguilar, who I never met, was there. And after the show, I went up to him and he says, uh, well, you know, I never met you, but I saw you in the audience. And I said, oh, my God, I got to be good because my birthday's coming up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> by the way that podcast that you and carlos did antonio ah, you know who carlos aguilar is he's a reporter uh, antonio aguilar antonio aguilar sorry antonio yeah. i've only hey, met you once at least he knows your birthday yeah at least i know your birthday i've only <laughs> met you once antonio forgive me that's it i'm gonna be mean but anyway yeah. but luckily i'm gonna save myself with this comment the yeah. the podcast that you and Antonio did, oh my God, I I never laughed harder. It was so enjoyable from the very beginning to the very end. You guys ought to team up on a podcast. We anyway. used to. Oh, uh, did you? So during the a quarantine, show, well, we had uh, a little podcast ourselves with uh, another comic. His name is Will Loden, mm-hmm. and it was called Los Lonely Boys. Mm. And it was a comedy podcast. What we would do is we would just talk about random stuff that happened throughout the day or something, and just like you know bullshit with each other or like yell at each other roast each other and stuff like that it was fun and like you said like you could tell the chemistry that he and i had was great yeah because we worked on that for a while like uh, when i first started doing podcasts i didn't really know how to do it Mm -hmm. and uh running their podcast uh it was tough because their will and antonio are two big characters they have their own egos they have their own like you know uh, charisma they have their own everything and they were established and they were comedians and they they know how to do comedy so me coming in there i was kind of like scared and like nervous because i was like <laughs> i i didn't know if i could like handle it and yeah. just keep up with them right so 
after a couple episodes we got our rhythm uh we understood like i understood my place my place wasn't just to like come in there and talk and be the the center of attention my place was to let them talk and then just come in with tags or just say something funny and then come out like a boxer mm-hmm. you yeah, know yeah. hit a jab here uppercut boom boom combo go get back out mm-hmm. and like I, that really helped me to get better in podcasts talking to people and stuff like that and just understanding the whole dance of conversation right if that makes sense yeah yeah like that antonio is a really good dude i i've always thought he was really funny and like when i first met him i didn't understand like how good he was you know Mm -hmm. because when i first started doing the podcast with him i didn't know how much of a professional he was because with the episode that we did on on my podcast that that was the first episode where i understood oh, oh this is this is a professional guy he knows how to podcast like he knows how to talk what what to talk about where to take the conversation and i was like whoa i was really impressed and then that kind of taught me a little better because like the episodes afterwards i kind of started understanding like where my place was and how to do this right. you know and with every episode i'm always learning something new like uh i really like this episode because i'm learning about somebody who is in the comedy world mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily do comedy themselves right you know and with you, I also like the fact that you give back to the community, you know, and that's a special thing because when I was younger, and like you said, when you were when you were younger, you didn't see too much of a Hispanic presence anywhere, you know. Right. And same with me. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I grew up in uh, Southwest. Mm-hmm. I grew up in A Leaf. All of us, like, the Hispanics and stuff, were it was mostly gangs, people just like fighting all the time, arguing, doing stupid shit, getting high, doing drugs, drinking, and stuff like that. But I didn't see any positive influences from my elders, you know. And then now that I'm getting older, I'm understanding. It's like, oh, what am I doing for the community? You know, like, what have I done for people? Like, I keep talking about like, oh, nobody did this. Nobody did this for me or I didn't do that. Like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And that, that's the one thing that I respect about you because you actually care about the community and you're doing something about it. And it's working. Yeah. You know, like. Well, it's a it's a labor of love. It's like when I go speak to teenagers and you know have to give them advice. I, I always say, and it's an old cliche, I know, but it's true. You know, I've never worked a day in my life because I've always done exactly what I wanted to do. When I worked at a bus as a bus boy at the Rice Hotel at thirteen or fourteen, I wanted to do that because. I'd never been around white people before. I was looking at them in their environment. When I was a dishwasher <laughs> on the street, researching yeah, these white at people. a steakhouse, I was a dishwasher. <laughs> there was nothing but black ladies back there cooking. They were big, boozing black ladies that were nasty as hell and used to flirt with me and make me uncomfortable because I was just a little pimply teenager. <laughs> but they made me laugh, you know, and that was so much fun. And, and every job I've had, I was a cab driver for a while. I was going to call. Every job I've had, it's a job that I enjoyed, you know, even as a grunt job. And, you know, and even when I, you know, when, when I was about in my mid-20s, I started thinking, you know, every job I've had, it's real quick for me to be made a manager or something. So why don't I really pick something I really like that's fun? And that's one of the other reasons I went into uh, joined Talento Bilingue. And um, so ever since then, I really have been doing what I love. I mean, when I was uh, my first uh, 20, 35 years, until I was about 55, you could never go to a TVH center where I was director, and they would never tell you, oh, Richard didn't come in today because he was sick. 
because I never missed a day. Yeah. Even if I felt a little bad, and, and God bless me that I didn't have anything serious, but I always went to work because I loved it so much. I'd be lost. Now I'm older and I have heart attacks and diabetes and stuff, and still I don't hardly miss work. But when I do get put into the hospital, which is once a year, it's almost like that's my vacation time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's vacation time. Let's sit here for three days. Uh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like you said, you worked a lot of jobs. What was your favorite job that you worked? My favorite job, minus the arts, you know. Yeah. I started in 81. Aside from that. I guess, yeah. you know, cab driving. I drove cab a cab driving. for a while. And what was interesting about cab driving, like I said, I really liked learning about white people or black people or out of my element, you know. And in cab driving, you learn everything. Because people, like you and I sitting here, even though we're on the air, we're more friendly to each other. We're more open when you're one-on-one with somebody. When you're with a group of people, you kind of watch what you say. So in a cab, you're by yourself with somebody, and all of a sudden, they're opening up to you, especially if it's at night and they're drunk, you know? (laughs) So you might be taking a CEO to the airport. I took Andy Warhol to the airport one time. Andy Warhol? Yeah, and you might be doing that, or you might be taking a prostitute or a drug dealer. But you get some interesting stories because it's just you and them, you know? And so this was before taxi cab conventions and uh, confessions and <laughs> cameras in the cab. Now probably, probably people are scared. But then uh, I really got to learn about people. I learned. Uh, it was a real education to see how people talked and behaved and, you know, that, that I could get along with anybody, you know, whether it was a CEO or uh, uh, somebody homeless, you know. I don't know how they caught a cab, but, <laughs> but it's good for the story. <laughs> I mean, but that uh, that just shows like you're you're comfortable with who you are, and the fact that you can get along with anybody means like you're a good person, obviously. Hmm. I guess I'll yeah, take it. Cause, well, like <laughs> there there are some people where I'm walking down the street, and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to talk to them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not today. You, you seem very friendly. Like, well, if I come up to you, of course I'll think we'll have a conversation. I was uh, there's a story where I don't like to give homeless people money. It has to do with uh, a, a little kid that got beat up by a homeless person. That turned me off. And so, but without getting too much into that, I have that policy. So I was over here near downtown on Dowling, used to be Dowling, the Chevron there. And I got out of my car, and a homeless person told me, hey, do you have a dollar? And I go, no, sorry. Then he goes, oh, you think you're better than me, don't you? I was like, buddy. I'm I'm like five dollars from being you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, me too. So I don't get along with everybody. <laughs> but like on the was... other hand, on Christmas Day we go out and look after we do our rounds here. Uh huh. Me and my son would go buy tamales. Alamo tamales used to be right here till last year. We buy a bunch of tamales, put a red bow on them, and ride around the Star Hope Mission finding homeless people and giving them some bucks and some tamales. So I'm not completely against it, but. Uh, money yeah just the money part because you're giving out food which is better than yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah i mean like uh so what is your favorite part about working in this doing this just just doing what you're doing you know it keeps you young i mean uh because we mainly advocate and help young actors you know artists Look at all the young people come to the comedy night, you know? So it keeps you young in that respect. 
I would feel kind of awkward going to a comedy show at my age and just, what is this old man doing here? But I'm welcome when I walk in, you know, like, yeah. oh, everybody knows my name. So you're well respected. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm recognized. So yeah. you feel at home. You just feel at home. And so that's because of this job, you know. And so I guess that's that's one of the the good aspects of it, the benefits. Yeah. What are the bad aspects? Getting knifed, getting beat up, because back in the day, until about ten years ago, I used to work with gangs, and that was my choice i uh one time i was uh you know my sister was killed in a little drive-by and that's when gangs were really bad in houston and um that was like the late 80s and early 80s and like that so i started a gang prevention program as a matter of fact tbh was given to me our organization as a gang prevention program for youth not so much that we were just accepting gangs but it was a high-risk area and we were giving them an alternative to gangs. And so, um, but, you know, <clears throat> my tires would get slashed or I would get beat up or something like that. I remember one time I was walking a friend of mine who was with United Way, giving her a tour of the facility and write big letters, I'm talking about five feet high on this wall, it said in red paint, can you cuss? Yeah, yeah, it said, fuck Poncho Claus. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and I hadn't even thought about it because it had been up. And uh, and uh, she said, Richard, she said, why are you bringing me through here? You give me a tour trying to impress me. Why would you show me this? <laughs> I said, I kind of forgot about it. But the good news is, you know, I've talked to his family. He's going to come. He feels bad about it. He's going to come paint it. And I said, but, but I can't complain because on any of that bad stuff, because I chose to work with that. When I go to a school, a principal will call me, hey, we've heard about you. Can you come out here and do some, some after-school programming with our kids? So I'll go, and they'll say, okay, what kids do you want? Do you want the artists or the actors or what? Are the kids with the best grades as a reward? And I said, no, I want you to pick the 10 worst kids you have, like bullies or, or, or fighters or, or disrespectful or whatever. Uh -huh. Don't go to school. And then from there, we'll build an after-school club. And then this club will be so badass that good kids will want to join it. And then you have 20 kids mixed up. And the bad kids learn from the good kids that, hey, you don't have to fight every day. And the good kids learn from the bad kids, hey, I should appreciate what I have and the kind of parents that I have. And so what I'm trying to say is any bad stuff that happened is my own doing. I could easily say, oh, no, my program is only working with A and B students because the others need to be home studying, you know? But I did, and I went the opposite way. You know, my program is the ones that don't want to study and are just getting into travesuras and getting into trouble. Yeah. And so so it's by design, any kind of bad things that happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into beatings. <laughs> That's just your thing. I mean, like, uh, I, most people don't know this about me, but when I was a kid, I used to get in trouble a lot. What? Yeah. I would have never thought that. Oh, yeah. I was a, <laughs> I was a bad kid. Uh, there was a point where I went to, uh, in, in the A-Leaf ISD, it's called ALC, mm -hmm. which is called the A-Leaf Learning Center. Right. And it was one of those schools where, like, uh, they send you there if you're, like, really bad. And I didn't. I did something stupid, but I didn't think I was, like, worth going there. What I did was, like, I pulled the fire alarm. At uh, mm -hmm. my uh, during summer school, 
and they didn't know what to do with me. So they were just like, oh, we're just going to send you to ALC. And the one thing I learned, it, it felt like jail. Hmm. It was weird because, like, the first day walking in there, I remember, like, walking through the doors and there were metal detectors. And there were teachers, like, standing on each side. Mm-hmm. And they were like, empty your pockets, uh, take your shoes off, take your socks off, and, like, and just walk through. And then they would, like, pat me down. And then what they did was, like, instead of giving us backpacks or letting us use backpacks, they give us milk crates. Mm-hmm. And we used to put our books and stuff in there and walk around. And then during lunch, what they would do is they would separate us. Like, every other seat would have a kid. And you couldn't talk to anybody, couldn't look at anybody. All you had to do was just sit there and eat your food. And then that's it. Damn. Yeah, it, it tripped me out. But, like, after that, I went to CLC, which is an in-school program, which is just like that. And because that's what they do to – once you go to ALC, you go to CLC. They transfer you over. They do all the paperwork and stuff. And then they transition you back into school, regular school. But then after that, I just couldn't do – I couldn't do school anymore because I was so used to being in ALC because it was so structured. It, it it was better for me because they they told me exactly what to do, I did it, I I got A's and B's in there and then it was like it was fine. But when I went back to regular school, I was like I don't know what to do. Do do I sit down? Do I go to class? And I just kept skipping again. And yeah, one time Jackson Middle School it was a while back called me, and they said we're going to give you fifty dollars an hour to come and sit with these kids for three hours while their teachers take a break. Okay, what's the catch? Well, this is called an alternative class, and these kids are really, really bad. And so these kids, they couldn't go to the lunchroom. They couldn't have P.E. They couldn't go to assemblies, Christmas shows or stuff. They couldn't go to the, to the school store. They were like prisoners. Yeah. And then they were so bad they were deemed that they couldn't be taught. So they all had he- headphones on, and they, had, uh, they just did nothing there. It was so boring. And so I went in there, and uh, I used some little tricks of mine and got their attention finally. But it took a couple of days. And uh, and I let them know. I, they said, well, why are you here? And I said, I'm here because your teachers need a break. But the main reason I'm here is to get rid of this program. This is the worst program I ever saw, you know. And within about two months, I was out of a job. We got them back in regular classes. It was ridiculous. These kids were already in eighth grade, and they were going to go to Austin High School and go with the general population without learning how to act, you know? Yeah. And so I'm really proud of that moment, you know, Uh, because a lot of people just throw away kids. And I really strongly believe, like Will Rogers said, I've never met a man that I couldn't like or something like that. Same thing. All kids, unless there's something that's physically, medically wrong with them, but all kids, badass kids included, can can be saved. They just need some attention. They just need an adult in their life to 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 ask them how they're doing and you know show them a little bit of care. So that's that's a really good point. I never had that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And like my mom was working all the time. My dad was out. I was out in the streets just hanging out with stupid people doing dumb stuff. And like I met like I wasn't in a gang, but I knew gang members and stuff like that. And I used to hang around with them, you know. And it was. I don't know. It was just weird. It was a weird time for me as a kid. I was I would always skip school. I would smoke weed. I would just do stupid stuff, and I didn't really care. But if I had, think about it now, if I had one person that just came to me like, hey, man, how you doing? Probably things would have been different. Yeah. You know? For sure. Man, that's commendable, though. That is commendable. I don't know. Like, 
going from that, helping the community and stuff like that, like how do you feel about your life right now? I feel very satisfied. I feel, uh, you know, the big worry right now, I'm 70 this year, and Pancho Claus is 40. So I have a plan where I'm going to wear the zoot suit all year round and just be 40. Start. <laughs> <laughs> just be 40. Seriously, though, folks. Um, <laughs> take my wife. Now, uh, the most asked question I get asked at the age 70 is, in a nice way, is, What's gonna happen to Pancho Claus when you when you you know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I have a plan. I'm trying to get my community to realize that Pancho Claus is not Richard Reyes. Pancho Claus is a community. It's a spirit. It's a movement. And just like Santa Claus is not just one person. And so, uh, this year, for instance, I usually take off on Christmas Day with me and a caravan of police officers with sirens and low-rider cars and go to a neighborhood. This year, I'm trying to get some, vol- we've got a car club, I'm trying to get some volunteer car clubs and I'll supply them with some toys they have to raise them. And I want like maybe three car clubs and I want them to have a person dressed like Pancho Claus. I'll help them. And we want to put four Pancho Clauses out there because I've gotten calls during other Christmases where they're like, hey, Richard, there's a guy out here, he's dressed like in a red raincoat saying he's Pancho Claus and he's going in a truck giving out gifts. You know the senior's picture? I said, no, tell him to come over here and I'll give him some presents to give out more because that's what we want. We want the people to know it's not just me. When my time is up, we want it to keep going and other people can do it, you know? And so uh, that's what I would like my legacy to be, that it doesn't yeah. stop when I'm gone, you know, it keeps going. It's kind of like in uh, that movie, Batman the Dark Knight, where Batman's going out, but then he has copies of them. (laughs) 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 I'm not saying you're out here being a vigilante. I kind of get it. People will see you. They they love it, and they respect it, and they're like, damn, I want to do that too. So I I like that idea. You know, one time, a couple years back, I had like a mini stroke. On, on a cruise and I told the driver a friend of mine named Miguel was driving me luckily there was a, a um, firefighters in our possession they came out of nowhere and said could we go with you like fine and so I told Miguel you know what I'm not feeling good so I'm going to have to go to the hospital or something right now in the middle of this so what's going to happen is Renee's going to drive you're going to put on my coat hat glasses and I'm going to go with the fireman and so we did and nobody knew. <laughs> they took pictures of him like he was Pancho Claus. He looks nothing like me. But people don't see me close up, you know? Maybe a few comedians see me close up, but they see me on television, you know? Yeah. And between the dark glasses and the hat and the cape, you, can't you know? Tell. And so yeah. it works. It works. It doesn't have to be me is what I found out. So I can rest. Yeah, that's true. So That's true. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point. It doesn't always have to be you. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's like it's uh, Pancho Claus is now more than you. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a it, movement. It, yeah, it's a movement. Yeah. Which is crazy. And, you know, just look at the news. People are doing terrible things to kids. The Parents mic. killing. Uh, talking to the mic. Yeah. Oh, people yeah. are doing terrible things to kids. Uh, <laughs> just look at the news. Uh, parents are killing their own babies, you know, and uh, abusing them and all kinds of stuff. So if there was ever a time that we really need to support kids and put some smiles on their faces and some happiness in their life, 
it's now, you know? Yeah. And with COVID and them having to be inside and not have friends, it's now, you know, that we need to step up and, and ensure that they're going to get some happiness in their life. That's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. That's a very good point. Uh, so we're at an hour now, and I know you say that your your podcast listening is only an hour. Like, you like to listen to podcasts <laughs> at just an hour. That's funny. <laughs> That's true. I like to listen to podcasts, but, you know, of course, it's with me. It's different now. <laughs> <laughs> we can go out for three hours if you want. I don't know. <laughs> what I like to say, though, is that um, if you want to help Claus, come by here at the Latino Learning Center uh, between 12 and 6, Monday through Friday, and pick up a toy box, take it to your business. Or go to our GoFundMe, which is uh, GoFundMe 2021, oh, Claus 2021 toy drive. And uh, if if my page, my comedy page has ever helped you, advertised you, whether you're a venue or a comic, consider uh, making a little donation. It's like I, I just said a while ago, the 5 and $10 donations, they add up. We got $20,000 in 5 and $10 donations. And it really does my heart good when I look through the donation list. Because even if you uh, give anonymously, I get to see the names. And it really does my heart good to see comics that have donated, like Slade Ham and Jose Pena and Mike Rayo, Pat Thomas. You know, uh, and no matter what the amount, it is very much appreciated. All right, I'm going to make a donation. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh, here we today. go. Here we go. Uh, I don't have much, but I'll give you 20 bucks. Oh, for sure. that's great. Especially <laughs> since you walked all the way over here. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, keep in touch. And our comedy nights are going to start again in the third week of January. And uh, we're looking forward to doing that again. Yeah, at the Latino Learning Center, right, 3522 Polk. Right. Uh, yeah. Or you could come and volunteer, too. So we need volunteers to help especially for this busy mm-hmm. holiday season. Uh, where can they find you? They can find me at 3, 3522 Poke, Monday through Friday. If if you want to just drop in, I'm here 12 to 6, Monday through Friday. Other than that, I'm making appearances or meetings in the morning. But you can call us. You know, I'm on Facebook. My phone number is everywhere, 713-208-0606. And, uh, but it's everywhere. And... Um, Call me if you want an appointment for a different time than what I said. All right. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank I really you appreciate it. Me. Yeah. And uh, it's been a minute. All right. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad.